This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. You may be seated, and I'm going to introduce our preacher for this morning. He's not really a guest because he and his wife, Katie, and their three children have been attending Res for the last few years. Uh, Dr. Andy Abernathy is a professor of Old Testament at Wheaton College, um, and he also happens to be, his specialty is the book of Isaiah. So what a coincidence that he's here. Um, uh, but the main reason why he's preaching is because he is part of our, he's a Gregory House associate, and Gregory House is our ministry training school for the entire diocese, and also, of course, for Church of the Resurrection. And so uh, Andy has been uh, an associate for the last year and traveling with us, and so uh, I asked him to preach on this text this morning. So Andy, thank you for being here. great to be here, and uh, I guess you could call me an Isaiah expert, um, but it doesn't somehow remove um, my challenge with uh, public performance anxiety. <laughs> so um, I found over the decades that once I do this a number of times with the same people, eventually I feel comfortable, but uh, here's for my first sermon here at Res, so we're, we're getting rolling. Um, why don't you uh, join with me in prayer? Father, we come to you this morning. We all come from different places. Some of us feel close to you. Others of us feel quite far away. Some of us are full of joy. Others of us are sorrowful. Some of us are feeling really close and alive in our relationship with you. Others of us feel numb. So we pray that as only you can, would you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, meet us where you are at where we are at through your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when COVID-19 hit the globe, I found myself wondering if this was going to be a time where looking around the world, there would just be a massive turning to God. And I even wondered in my own heart if, if perhaps this would be a time when I saw just an automatic increase, dependence upon the Lord and turning to Him. But what I found was really, rather than kind of looking vertically during this crisis, I was very horizontal in my outlook. I'd go to the latest news and try to see, okay, what's the CDC saying now? What's Dr. Fauci saying? What are the latest guidelines? What are the latest numbers and figures? I began looking out to social media, trying to figure out tips on how to keep my life pretty much as normal as possible. How can I still work out at home? How can I get toilet paper? Um, how can we shop for groceries, right? How can we homeschool our kids? How do I figure out using this Zoom technology? Um, and, of course, what series should I be watching on Netflix right now? <laughs> so uh, what this, I think, illustrates for me, and it's not just during COVID, but, but outside of Eden, 
we as humans don't automatically turn to God when we're facing crises. Usually, our default during turmoil and uncertainty is just to look horizontal. We start leaning on our own resources, trying to navigate the crises as they come to us. And as a result, we end up feeling completely overwhelmed. As a result, we feel like a boat in the midst of a hurricane. And what we see is we're not all that different than the people of Judah during Isaiah's time. It was the 8th century, and they had a major crisis in front of them. Assyria was on the rise, the most powerful empire in the world. And if you lost to Assyria, like, you really lost. <laughs> you could be starved behind the walls of your cities. You could be tortured. If you survived, you'd be taken into a different country. And already, by the time of Isaiah 31, the northern kingdom, Israel, has been taken into captivity already into exile. And now you see Assyria's on the march again under King Sennacherib. They're coming. They're getting closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem. And you'd wonder, okay, this is the people of God. Perhaps this is going to be the moment when they turn to God and look to him for help. But we find is that they are a lot like us. They don't turn to God for help. Instead, they turn to their own human resources. They turn to Egypt rather than to God himself. And this is where the prophet Isaiah steps in. The prophet Isaiah steps in and says, whoa, 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 there is another way. There is a way during crisis that looks like this. It looks like casting ourselves completely upon God for help. So as we look through this wonderful word from God this morning in Isaiah 31, is we're going to see that when we look to God for help, what we can find is an incredible security in knowing that the God we look to is the God who fights for us. So we'll start the message looking more generally at this call from this word from God, God saying to us, look to God for help. Then after we get a sense for that, we'll look at two different aspects of what looking to God for help involves in this passage. So if you have your pew Bibles, uh, page 592 is where you're going to find Isaiah 31. So let's think about this general call to look to God for help. Look at the end of verse 1 with me. Whereas the people of God are, are turning to a bunch of other things for help, here's what they're not doing. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. They do not look to the Holy One of Israel. Now, the Holy One of Israel is the one who Isaiah and Isaiah 6 had seen sitting on the throne high and exalted, who's so great that just the hem of his robe fills the entire temple, so grand that the seraphim are flying around him and crying out, holy, 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 this king is reigning on a throne during a time when King Uzziah is dying. This is the king who endures this holy, holy, holy one. But he's not simply a holy, holy, holy one. He's the holy one of Israel. He's pledged himself to be close to this people, but they are not turning to the Lord 
for help. They're not looking to the Holy One of Israel. And so as a result, the prophet calls them in verse 6. He says, turn to him. Okay, turn to him. You, you haven't been looking to the Holy One of Israel, so turn to him. And what's striking is how um, Isaiah describes this one they're to turn to. They're the ones from whom people have deeply revolted, even though the people of God have been saying, nope, I'm not going to go with you, God. This God still wants his people to turn to him. Now, I think naturally we as humans, again, know what it's like to kind of cry out for help more horizontally, but not so much vertically. I mean, children know this really well. I, my daughter, uh, Bethany, um, uh, reminded me of this uh, recently. We were at a baptism party after uh, church one day. Some adults were hanging out in the front, and the kids were in the back. And all of a sudden, while I'm hanging out in the front, I hear this super loud cry. And within a second, I knew whose cry it was. It was my daughter's Bethany, my daughter's um, crying. And sure enough, she had broken her ankle. But as I ran back to her, as she's wailing and crying, as I got closer and was with her, her pain didn't go away, but her cry got lower. Why was she crying? Was, she cried so loudly because she knew she needed her mother or her father to come to her, to help her. And what the Holy One of Israel is saying to his people is, you aren't doing that to me. I want to be there for you when you are in this crisis. I want you to look to me. I want you to look to me. So the question we can ask then is, what does it look like to look to God for help? Two different aspects and for note-takers. I'll give you the cues. The first aspect we'll look at is misplaced trust. Looking to God for help um, will relate to what we would call misplaced trust. And then the second relates to rightly placed trust. So by misplaced trust, what I'll, I mean is looking to God during times of crisis involves not merely trusting in our own resources, not having this sort of misplaced trust that's only on our own resources. And rightly placed trust is rightly trusting that our God will fight for us. So let's look first at, back at verse 1 where we see that how looking to God for help involves not trusting only in our own resources. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they're many and in horsemen because they are very strong. Now, if you look at what they're doing here, this is common sense strategy. This is like what you would naturally do if the biggest empire in the world was coming to fight you, this little dinky nation called Judah. You would go to a nearby superpower and say, hey, will you have her back? <laughs> you know, will you uh, give us horses? Would you give us chariots? And maybe then you have a chance of making a stand. This makes complete sense. But the problem is they're not turning to God. 
God isn't involved at all in this. And what the prophet is going to help them see is all those things you're leaning on that aren't God, God's going to break those down. He says this in verse 2, and he, God, is wise, and he can bring disaster himself. He doesn't call back his words, and will arise, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. And what they're going to see in verse 3 is that the Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. What God is going to show them is, yes, you think that Egypt is the greatest option for you right now, but news alert, it's just man. You think horses are going to give you power, just flesh. And when the Lord stretches out his hand, it says, the helper, namely Egypt, will stumble, and he who is helped, Judah, will fall, and they will all perish together. In the prophets, there's another image of this. It's this idea like, I imagine that the Nile River is kind of like this. They have reeds kind of growing wherever. So imagine you're by the Nile River, and you're like, want to have a little rest, and you rest on a reed. And what the prophet says is that reed is going to break, that reed being Egypt. And guess what? When that reed breaks, it's going to pierce you too. And God's saying here, I want to push you beyond leaning only on your human resources. So as we look to God, I, I think what we can expect is a willingness not just to resort to our own navigating, our own resources, but see that he'll push us beyond this. And the Bible, of course, is filled with examples of these. Think about the Exodus. Israel's brought out from Egypt. They're fleeing from Egypt, and they get penned in by the Sea of Reeds. They're worried because now the army of Assyria is chasing after them. And they're saying, Moses, did God just bring us out here so that we could have graves in the desert? Is that why you brought us out? Moses looks to the Lord, and notice how God pushes Moses beyond human logic and human resources. God says, Moses, take that staff of yours and just stretch it out. Not a typical military strategy. Just stretch out that staff. And God parts the sea. Or think about Peter in the New Testament. Peter thinks he's found the Messiah in Jesus. He's left everything to follow him. And he thinks Jesus is going to go into Jerusalem and overthrow Roman rule. But then Jesus says something that doesn't quite comport with where Peter's own intellect would take him. Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die. Peter's like, no, you're not. No, that doesn't work with what I got in here, Jesus. I'm pretty smart. I'm Peter. We're a lot like Peter, aren't we? And then, as was read earlier, when Jesus is arrested... Peter's like, let me, let me get to my own resources here. I got a sword. Let's fight this thing. Jesus like, put the sword away. So I'm not saying that to us Wheatonites in here that intellect is bad. <laughs> I'm a professor. 
But what I want us to see is there are limits. And that following God as disciples means that when we look to God, we should not just lean on our own intellect. We should lean on where God will lead us. And that will often lead us beyond where our own resources would get us. A great example of this is a man named Charles Smith. Uh, most of you, or probably none of you, know who Charles Smith is, except Katie might have met him. I met him when I was on staff at a church, um, and he was 80 at the time when I met him. Charles had devoted his entire early life to becoming a medical missionary. This guy had a heart for the globe and for Jesus reaching the ends of the earth. And so he devoted himself to be a medical missionary. And here's the problem. Once he finished medical school, no missions agency would send him out. Do you know why? Because he had tuberculosis. And so he's at this point of crisis, this point where it's like, oh, what am I to do here? He turns to the Lord, and the Lord says to him, Charles, I want you to do something radical. Be a doctor in Indiana. <laughs> Doesn't quite sound as exciting as in India, right? I want you to be a doctor in Indiana, and I want you to give 80% of your income to global missions. And as he lived decade after decade off of 20% of his income, he faced his own financial difficulties, and missionaries would hear about that and actually sent money back to support him. All right? And this models for us this vision of how looking to God for help will often around, uh, lead us to say, well, don't misplace your trust in simply where your own logic and common sense will get you. What God wants to say to you and to me is he wants to be involved in this. He wants you, you, as you're facing different crises and challenges, don't just resort to these resources of you scrambling as a parent, trying to do the best thing for your kid. Are you inviting God into that? Are you looking to his guidance? Are you looking to him? As you navigate life as a single or as you struggle in your marriage, as you face your own health or mental health challenges, as you're in a difficult work situation, or as we even face challenges as a church, what God is saying is, I want to be in that with you. I want to be involved in it. Don't just lean on your own intellect and your own resources and what you're bringing to the table. And this, of course, is what brings us to the heart of the gospel. It's what we experience every week at the table. The gospel tells us some things that push way beyond where our own intellect would get us. Think of what we confess, that a Jew from Nazareth is fully God and fully human, and that this Jew from Nazareth died on a cross, and that this spectacle of brutality became the way by which Enemies like us could have our sins forgiven and atoned for. And that this Jew who died on the cross also rose again, and that's what gives us confidence that we'll rise again. There is a lot in there that our own human logic could not get us to. And 
the gospel, of course, pushes us beyond any other resource to put us right with God. What we see is that our help is not found in our own righteous deeds. Our help is not found in the latest and greatest podcast or pastor celebrity. Our help's not found in trying to figure out how we can, I can just do you, you know? Our help is found in a triune God whose mission was for the Father to send the Son to provide the only way for prodigals to return home in this way that God chose was deemed foolishness to Greeks, powerless to Jews. It's the way of the cross where the crucified king calls us and says, your resources aren't going to get you here. It's what I've done. Don't lean only on your own resources. Look to me. So looking to God involves not kind of falling into this pattern of misplacing our trust in what we bring to the table. But instead, the second aspect of looking to God involves trusting that God will fight for us. Look at verse 4 with me. It says, And thus says the Lord, As a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, is not terrified by their shouting or daunted by their noise, so the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill. So imagine there's a flock, and a lion identifies one that will be its prey. And shepherds are coming out and shouting, trying to distract and deter that lion, but he is focused on that prey. That's how God is. Our God, like a lion, we're told, comes down to fight on Mount Zion. But here's the question. Is God coming down like a lion to fight against us? We who have not been turning to the Holy One of Israel, is he coming down to fight against us who've revolted against him time and time again? There's this ambiguity here. But it becomes clear in verse 5 that this lion has come to fight for his people. Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. This lion who's come is also like a bird fighting off the foe, protecting his People, delivering them and sparing them and rescuing them. And what they'll see when this God comes to rescue, rescue his people who've not been looking to him, they're going to just get rid of their idols, we're told in verse 7. And we're told in verse 8, And Assyria shall fall by a sword not of man, and a sword not of man shall devour him. God saying, I'm the one who's going to fight this one. You might have been looking to all these other resources to stand. I'm coming like the lion. I'm going to be the sword that defeats Assyria. And Hezekiah, the king at the time, must have heard this message because in Isaiah 36 to 37, by the time Assyria has surrounded Jerusalem with over 100,000 troops, he turns to the Lord in prayer. And God's word to Hezekiah is this, I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. 
Then we're told in the very next verse, then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. God showed up and fought for his people against the greatest foe you could conceive of on the earth, the Assyrian army. He did it in history, in time, in space, when there seemed to be no hope. And this, of course, points us to a far greater salvation that God has come and fought for us. There's a greater foe than the Assyria. There's the foe of sin and death. And Jesus came like a lion, hovering like a bird, protecting us. And he defeated sin on the cross and conquered death on the cross and in the resurrection. And so as we come to the table later this morning, I want you to hear and see and know your God has fought for you. And if you haven't accepted this, if you haven't come to see this need for someone apart from just your own resources to fight this battle of sin and death so that you can be right with God, hear God's invitation this morning. But I wonder, too, what other areas of your life does our God want to fight in our lives? What are you facing? Is there a friend or a child that you know, God, I need you to come and fight for them? Is there a sin in your own heart? Is there a challenge you're facing? Or will you need our God to fight for you? So as we've seen in this beautiful word from God through Isaiah to us is a call for us to look to the Holy One of Israel for help. And as we do, we're called from misplacing our trust and just where our own resources and intellect would get us, but instead called to trust that God will fight for us. And as I've prepared this message, there have been kind of two words that God's put on my heart that I trust that you've been hearing as I've been preaching and as we've been studying this passage. So the first word is God saying to you and to me, I want to be involved. You're just kind of leaning on your own resources right now. I, I want to be involved in that. I want to be in this with you. Do you hear God saying, I want to be involved? And then second, do you hear God saying, I want to fight for you. I want to fight that for you. And so as I've been preparing this message, I felt it would be appropriate to have one of our pastors lead us, not just in having heard the word, but to really engage and meet with God through it. So invite Pastor Megan to come and lead us as we respond to what God is saying to us through this word. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word preached in power. We invite your Holy Spirit to come now, Lord, and just in your tender love, fill our hearts and minds as we come before you. Would you apply this word to our lives, Lord Jesus? 
And Lord, we start in repentance. We repent, Lord, of the things that we have turned to, of the horses and chariots that we have been relying on in your stead. And I ask that you would come now to your children as we sit before you, and to each and every one, would you raise up an image of that thing that it is that they're relying on today, that they're placing their trust in, and it's letting them down. Come, Holy Spirit. I think there's some people in this room who have been relying on their their own strength of intellect, um, that you're, um, you just keep trying harder and harder because you're a really smart person and you're sure you can fix this problem. And the Lord's just inviting you to lay that down before him, to give that beautiful intellect over to him, that he will fill you with his spirit and do mighty things in your life as you do that radical work of vulnerability before him. There's some people as well who have really trusted in their own virtuousness and their good deeds. You just, you're a really great person. You work really hard. You do your best to be a good person. And you really think that's going to get you through the situation you're in right now. And the Lord is telling you, it will not. Your goodness will not get you through what you're struggling with. But he will. So he asks you to just give that desire to do right to him, and he will amplify it along your wildest dreams. Come, Lord Jesus. And there's some who just simply haven't bothered to consult the Lord. Some of you just, you haven't even thought of it. It's not a purposeful movement, it's just you haven't thought of it. And the Lord is inviting you to look to him, your Holy One. Turn your hearts to him. The things you're relying on do have power, but they are not as powerful as he is in the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I ask that you would open our eyes to spiritual realities today as we we limit ourselves, Lord, we only see what's before us. Would you open our hearts and minds to see the spiritual truth of your power, Jesus? Would you open our eyes to see that you send angels to minister to us, that you are constantly fighting on our behalf, that you battle Satan daily, in love for us. Come, Holy Spirit. And there's some people here who you see that lion image and you really believe God wants to devour you. You're terrified. You're terrified because he is holy and you are not. I think there's a couple of people here, men and women, who are struggling profoundly with a pornography addiction and you think that it means that God just wants nothing to do with you, or he just wants to punish you. And he is asking you to let him fight for you, because that addiction is of Satan and not of him. And all he wants is to come and pull you out of that darkness, out of that loop, into his light, into his love. Come, Holy Spirit. And there's some of you who have lost his lost hope that God will intervene on the behalf of a family member. And Jesus says, I am fighting for them. Lord, would you show your children who are just in despair over a loved one, would you just show them today just one way that you are already fighting for your children? They are not alone. 
even these people that have family members, friends who have far, really gone far from you, who don't love you, that you are still seeking after them, your hand is upon them, Lord. And Lord, would you give us all that faith to give away 80%, Lord? Help us to just lay our lives before you in complete trust that you want to be involved in our lives, that you are fighting for us, and that when you ask us to step out in radical faith, not turning to Egypt, not turning to the worldly superpowers, that we just open our hands to you in vulnerability, you will do incredible deeds, incredible works for your kingdom in us and through us in the power of the Holy Spirit. We trust you, Jesus, and we love you. Would you seal the work that you're beginning today, Lord, in our hearts? Would you show its fruit throughout this week to your children? Give us encouragement and hope as we lift our eyes to you, Lord, and stop looking to our side and to ourselves for help. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.